<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness. I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? Welcome back to another episode of the Queer Contessa podcast, the show that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice so that you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin. About three years ago, I received an unexpected phone call from one of the world's largest publishers. They wanted me to write a book. But before I got the chance to feel excited or even call my mom with the good news, that familiar voice was already going off in my head. You know the one. It starts to tell you all the reasons why you can't do something. I'm too busy. The timing isn't right. You've never done this before. You can't do this. Ignoring the voice, I forced myself to say yes and lean into what would come next. I accepted the offer. But I had to ask myself, if they saw this potential in me, why couldn't I? Why are we so often the most negative voice in our own lives? I felt like I needed to pretend to be confident. This feeling is pretty common and it's called imposter syndrome. Today, I'm joined by another woman who's experienced imposter syndrome, Tucci Ivoi, to learn more about her story common misconceptions around imposter syndrome, and five ways to dial down your own self-criticism and that negative voice. And now, this is the Career Contessa Podcast. Tucci Ivoi is the Chief Executive Officer and a founding member of the Ghana Commodity Exchange. Prior to that, she worked at Nestle in a variety of roles in senior leadership and a woman who has experienced imposter syndrome. Tucci, welcome to the show. And I would love to have you just start by sharing, you know, your story and your experience with imposter syndrome. Was there a time where it happened and you were like, oh, I'm identifying this as being imposter syndrome? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Yes, I think it probably started before I can even remember or before my first memory of it. But there are a couple of occasions that I, you know, quickly come to mind. One particular moment is literally in one of the first jobs I had after university. I had to make cold calls and pitches to CEOs of the largest, I mean, the global technology companies, companies like Sun Microsystems, IBM. Imagine someone fresh out of uni 
calling, you know, trying to reach these CEOs directly to talk to them about technology. What did I know? And, you know, I'm talking to masters in their game. I think I have the right <laughs> to feel imposter syndrome. You know, fast forward, you know, many years down the line, um, I had another new job and I shared about this particular story in an article I recently wrote. I was in a new role. It was literally my first day on the job. And, you know, we were in a seminar. Others had been in the job at least a couple of years. You know, the, normally the prerequisite was that you've spent at least one and a half to two years in this role before you um, get admitted into this big seminar, this big workshop. But for me, it was my first day on the job. I, an exception was made. And so a question was asked. I was so sure I knew the answer. You know, what was the difference between roasts and ground coffee and soluble coffee? I knew the answer, but I just didn't want to put my hands up and speak up because I felt... Hmm. There are others more experienced. They've been on the job for longer. What if I was wrong? You know, and there've been countless of such occasions. And each time that happened, you know, in the past, I'd, you know, chastise myself afterwards when people would, you know, come up with the answers. Some people were wrong. Others, you know, would be right. But, you know, generally or, or most of the time I'd had the right answers, but I'd refused to speak. And I started to realize that, no, this was not good enough and it wasn't going to help me you know, to get to where I needed to go. So yeah, these are some stories. I'm sure there are many others I can think of if I dig deep. <laughs> but I'm sure yeah. it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. I think it absolutely does. I remember when I was getting my book deal almost... I remember when the agent first reached out to me about writing a book, my initial thought was no, because if it's not you know, if it doesn't sell enough copies or who am I to write a book? I'm not a writer. You know, I mean, it was just like a flood of negative thoughts. Kind of what you said about like you, your hand could have gone up, but that flood of negative thoughts and sort of, you know, being just really critical of yourself and that self-doubt uh, took over. Yeah. It's like a tidal wave that takes over versus the opposite of like the confidence wave that takes over. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that imposter syndrome pops up the most at certain times? I mean, obviously it's not an age thing because it happened when you were fresh out of college and also when you were further along in your career. Do you think it pops up when like, it feels like, I don't know, the stakes are high or it's in person or something like that? I do. I I mean, I, I, I tend to think that it pops up during different transitional moments in one's life. And by transition, I mean things like, you know, new jobs, So you may be very experienced, you've um, worked yourself very hard, you've reached a certain level and, you know, you're in a comfort zone, but then you move to another company. It's a completely new job. And this imposter syndrome can creep up again. It can be within the same company, but a new role. You know, whether you're moving from being a junior executive to a manager, any new role, I think, um, will will give you that, Um, especially maybe if the nature of the role is changing. Maybe you're not just moving from a junior level to a managerial level. Maybe you're also, you know, expanding your scope. Um, It can be things like being in a, a group you know, where you're different, let's Mm -hmm. say, maybe you're in the minority. Some women have found it particularly hard to go into um, a group existing, you know, just men, and then you're the only woman, for instance, maybe you're the only ethnic minority. All of these um, different types of positions can, I think, make this, uh, let's say, monster called imposter syndrome creep up on you. And I think it's perfectly normal because you're entering something new. It's uncharted territory. It's unknown territory. And you'll find that people at the highest levels um, in organizations experience this, even as they move on to, you know, one of these transitional kind of through one of these transitional moments. So, yes, I I think that it does pop up in, in different occasions like this. 
Mm-hmm. What about, are there common misconceptions around imposter syndrome? Like, are for example, could can it sometimes be a good thing? I know we always talk about it as if it's, mm-hmm. you know, this really horrible thing that we, no matter who you are, seem to experience. But I guess, what are some of the misconceptions around imposter syndrome in general? I'd say probably the first misconception is that only a few people experience it. And I'd go as far as to saying that probably most people at some point, at one point or another, experience it. Even the most confident of people, they're probably in the minority, you know, those who haven't experienced it before or who don't experience it from time to time. So, you know, I I share that um, to, to kind of allay people's, um, you know, fears and, you know, of feeling different and, and feeling, you know, less than. I think a lot of people go through it for different reasons and at different moments. That's the first, um, you know, misconception that it's only a handful of people. When you read different people's stories, you learn about other leaders, um, they share their experiences, whether in their biographies or, you know, in, you know, on different talks, you'll find that some of the, you know, most let's say, recognized global leaders will tell you that they've um, undergone imposter syndrome. And that's why the subject is so relatable and it's so real to so many. So that's, that's the first. The other I would say is that, yes, there is actually a positive side to it, because if you go into anything with 100% confidence that, you know, you're the best, you can't go wrong, you are likely to fail. You're likely to miss out on signs when things are not quite going right. There's a, you know, there's a real problem with overconfidence. Mm-hmm. The, the good thing about, you know, having a certain level of doubt makes you question, you know, your actions. It makes you question um, all the details before you rush into making, you know, certain decisions and implementing certain moves. And so this is the positive side. Obviously, you don't want to go so far that you don't act at all because then you're just hindering yourself from growth. And that's not a positive leadership trait. So, you know, if you do it and and question yourself, but at some point you make a decision that, okay, I've, you know, looked at every side of it. And I think, you know, I'm I'm relatively confident we can move. If you move at the right time, then yes, this is really something that's going to help you, in fact, and propel you in your career, because you'll be seen as Mm -hmm. who's very detailed, who pays attention to detail and is able to deliver you know, on results. So this is really something that we should, you know, keep in mind and, and be positive about. Yeah. Versus getting stuck in that analysis paralysis that, that I've heard before, where you, you just, to your point, it's important to take your time to think and not be overconfident, but you have to act. I think that was, a for me, that's a big takeaway of that advice because I do think a lot of people, and I see this a lot, especially with like career changes or taking that next step to be the leader or uh, switching jobs when you've been at your job for 10 years, is like sometimes there's analysis paralysis or the imposter syndrome turns out to be where you just are frozen and you don't do anything. So that's that's a really good point. It's like, you got to do something. You got to make a move, right? Exactly. Is there a cure for imposter syndrome? Like, is there something that people could do on a daily basis that would make it so they don't experience this anymore? Or is that just wishful thinking? I'm I'm not sure there's a cure, but I do think that this is something that can be, you know, beaten. It can be fought. Um, As I was saying a little bit earlier, it, it tends to creep in at different times. So just when you're kind of, you know, mastering yourself, you're, you know your strengths, you're, you know, in, you know, your whole confidence lane, 
suddenly, yeah. you know, you're thrown a curveball or you're given a new opportunity, which might be completely outside of your comfort zone. And let's face it, you only grow when you're pushed, you know, beyond what you think are your limits. So as long as you're going to, you know, continue to grow, it means you're going to have to take certain risks or do things which are outside of your comfort zone. So that feeling might creep in from time to time. But once you're learning to master your, your self-confidence, and you can only do this through self-awareness, knowing yourself well and, you know, keep on working on yourself daily, then you can overcome it in the larger sense. Doesn't mean you won't experience it from time to time, but it's something that can be fleeting. You'll feel mm-hmm. that sense of nervousness, you know, self-doubt for a minute, but you'll quickly get past it. And that's the difference between harboring those feelings of self-doubt, you know, um, for a long time, day after day, and not allowing yourself to move and just experiencing it for a few moments and, you know, recognizing, ah, oh, okay, it's just because I want to do so well, I, I, I want to deliver um, so yeah, yeah, and 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 so yes, I think I think we can work on it. I certainly am not the same person I was, you know, when I started my career, or even in the middle of my career. I'm able to take on new challenges without even thinking these days, because I know that you know I, I I'll get through it. So yes, I think it's something that can be worked on. Well, and you mentioned a really good point about harboring self-doubt. I I do feel like that is, it's like you're in your confidence lane, something gets thrown your way and you feel like you're going to get totally derailed. And I, I think what, there's two ways of going about this, you know, what you just talked about. So building up opportunities to be more confident and not letting it stop you from that momentum and moving forward. But then there's this other part where I feel like the self-criticism, right? You just like, harbor that self-doubt and you hammer into yourself about, again, like, you know, beating yourself up for not raising your hand um, when you knew the answer. And so I know one thing you're going to teach us all today is how can we dial down the self-criticism? Because I think what we're learning is that it it's really not doing us the favor that we think it is. At least there's a much better approach to overcoming imposter syndrome. Um, And and one of them is dialing down your self-criticism. Is that correct? That's right. I I, I like to say that, you know, first we can actually acknowledge that it's normal to feel nervous. We've, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, people at the highest levels of leadership go through this when they're also in, you know, transitional moments in their careers and it, it, it is normal, especially when you're new, you've just been promoted. I think there are expectations from all corners. Um, yes. There's expectations from your boss. They're expecting results and quite quickly. So you're under pressure there. There are expectations from your peers. You know, you've joined a new league of, of, of people and they're looking to see if the right decision was made. There are even expectations from those, you know, whom you used to work with, your former peers saying, okay, this person got promoted. Did they deserve it? Right. Did I, you know, did I not deserve it? Did this person really deserve it? So there's pressure over there. And this is, you know, at everyone's level. When you go higher up in an organization, there's also pressure from, you know, the board of directors. Here, it's another level of expectation. Maybe it's the shareholders to whom you're directly accountable. And honestly, global CEOs are accountable also to the general public. You've got, your, you know, eyes on you. So it is normal to feel nervous. And it doesn't matter at what level you are in the organization, whether a new entrant, middle management, or climbing up, you know, the, the kind of highest ladders. The expectations are real and, you know, they apply to everyone who's, you know, recently been given an opportunity to to show mm-hmm. themselves and to show what they're worth. So acknowledge that it's normal. You're not the only one who, who's feeling nervous. So I think that's 
you know, what, what I'd say, first of all, to allow yourself to kind of dial down that critical voice. You are not alone. Everyone goes through this. And like we were just saying a little bit earlier, a, you know, a certain level of nervousness and doubt is good um, because it does counterbalance complacency. It pushes you to work harder. The harder you work, the you know, better the results are mm-hmm. to be. So do acknowledge your feelings, um, understand they're common. And this does have a way of calming you. There's nothing worse than, you know, going into a situation, you know, at work, making decisions based on irrational feelings and irrational thoughts. You're more likely to alienate yourself, not get the support of peers and, 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 and your team because they see you as somebody who is nervous. So just dialing down that criticism can, you know, calm you and allow you to have a rational, you know, head and mind to make the right decisions um, going forward. So that's the first, um, yeah, one of the first tips. Yeah. So I'm curious with that. So with the first tip about acknowledge that it's normal to feel nervous, is that something you want to acknowledge also to the people around you? For example, if you're new on a team and you're feeling nervous, I know we talk a lot about like EQ, emotional intelligence or empathy and having that be a great quality in leaders. And one of the things I I read a lot about is like leaders who point blank say to you know their team like, I don't know the answer to this, or I'm not sure the next be- the best step to take with this. Like, is this something that you should be acknowledging or sharing with your team, or is that something you kind of keep private? I think it's really um, great to share. It's not every single um, feeling or emotion or fear you need to share, but you know, sharing some of those fears I think is wise. I say, and it kind of goes down to um, authenticity. There's a, there's a point I make as well about being yourself, but it's linked to that. People, you know, by far respect a vulnerable leader, someone who's willing to admit, I don't know everything, than to, you know, follow someone who is overconfident and in the end sometimes is going to get it wrong anyway because, you know, we're all human. So it, right. it is good to share um, instances of that. I mean, last year was, I think, an example for everyone, everywhere. Anyone who had never <laughs> true. through a pandemic, you know, could really easily open their mouths to say, you know what, I've never been through this before. I'm not sure how we're going to navigate this, um, but we will get through it together. We'll try new things if we have to. I've done that in the past when I was managing operations in a country when the Ebola pandemic struck. So in fact, COVID wasn't, it wasn't entirely new to me, the experience of, of leading in an environment with, you know, something like this going on. Um, and I remember even in the first instance, I shared with the team that, look, I've, I have no idea. I mean, this came out of nowhere. I'm just as, you know, uh, shocked as you are. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to learn and we're going to, you know, come through on the other side. And they, they respect that. So yes, absolutely share. Um, but it's, it, you know, if, if you are doubting yourself on a frequent basis and the daily kind of self-criticism is, is the, the, this is a, a, a whole nother level and you can't come in every day and share with your team, you know, I'm scared of this and we can't, you know, we, yeah. we can't do that because on the other side, you're going to risk, you know, losing them because they also need somebody who is strong at the end of the day and they know that is going to lead them and guide them through certain situations. So it's just finding a balance between, you know, sharing what is real real vulnerabilities, but at the same time, you going through them, learning and strengthening yourself so that you can also help to pull the team together. Mm -hmm. So your next tip is about not harboring a fear of failing. And I know 
you know, a lot of people have that, you know, they're afraid of going for that job because what if they don't get it? For me, it was like, I didn't want to write the book because what if it doesn't sell enough? What if it's like a public embarrassment, you know, that kind of stuff. So how do we get past this? I mean, my way of getting past this fear of failing most of the time is to say yes and figure it out. And most of the time I can't get out of it. So then I have to figure it out. I don't know if that's always the best strategy, but that's, that's been what I've done so far. Um, I think it's a beautiful strategy. And honestly, I think it's probably what's helped me as well. In, in the, in the early days, I'd be, you know, given opportunities and I'd think about it before saying yes. And when I stopped thinking and just said, yes, I, you know, I realized, well, you, you'll get through it. You'll learn. At the very worst case, you've been given an opportunity. You've learned something new. It's added, you know, to your personal growth. And if it does exceedingly well, then extra cherries, um, <laughs> you know, on top. Yeah. So I, I think it's a perfect strategy. I think another thing you can do, one, one can do is, you know, think about others. A lot of people make plans. I've been in situations where, somebody has an ambition to start a podcast, for example, or go and do further education. Maybe it's an MBA, you know, or launch a website, educating on a certain topic. They're planning it. They're chewing it in their heads. Oh, will I do it well? Will I succeed? Will I get in? And before they know it, they've seen, you know, peers or friends or, you know, people who maybe they've even worked with and they, they, they recognize that they probably even have more potential, if I can put it that way in, in, in quotation marks, but this person's gone, done it, and is doing pretty well at it. So that should also, you know, maybe kick, kick you to action. People who decide to start, get it done whilst you're still sitting yeah. there chewing on it. And I think, you know, this is one thing that can, you know, maybe motivates us. Um, in a different way. I'd say you'll notice that it's those who fail and get up again and fail and get up again that succeed. I don't know of a single leader, um, and I'm talking about you know people who we can probably all name, who haven't actually failed at some points in their careers and ended up you know being you know legends in in a sense. I don't know. I'm, I'm just picking yeah. things out of. Out, out of the air, but Steve Jobs. And I mean, every leader has gone through the worst of it. Their businesses have crashed. They've gone through, you know, losses. They've lost people. It's so many things, but they come out on top because they don't give up. They, they try again. So, you know, you, you have to not be afraid of failing because in fact, it's failing that's actually going to help normally to propel you. When you're in a comfort zone and everything is safe, you're not likely to be growing. Because yeah. growth does not come from um, safe places. It comes from a certain you know, level of risk that's taken. So yeah, I think looking at others who look successful on the surface and comparing yourself to them doesn't really help. Because in, in a lot of cases, it's those who you think won't be able to succeed <laughs> because they don't have that external X factor that often end up succeeding just because they're willing to fail and to you know, to, to, to try again. So this is what I'd encourage everyone to, you know, say, look, what is the worst that can happen? You know, I will learn from this. It will refine me. Mm -hmm. me. No leaders become leaders by not going through tough times because that, those are the things that make leaders. They're recognized for being able to go through certain challenges, through difficulties, whether it's in the macro environment, whether it's particular situations, you know, on, on the job, but they're the ones who end up being recognized for having, you know, overcome that challenge and then they get promoted to the next level. So if you really want to grow in your leadership career, you cannot be afraid of 
of, of failing. You can't be afraid of yeah. yeah. I would add too that it's almost better to fail a little bit earlier on in your career or earlier on in a project or whatever it is that you're working on because the people who I feel like you know, I remember when I was graduating college, there were people, and you know, I graduated in the middle of a recession. Some people got jobs with benefits, and I was so jealous. I was like, that person, you know, just graduated and right away they got the job and they're on their path to be, you know, uber successful. And here I am, I'm, I'm stringing along all these internships, I'm living at home. Like, and in a way, I look back and I realize, like, having those failures and having those moments of self doubt earlier on in my career helped because I have, and I, I know this is sort of an overused phrase, but I have more tools in my toolbox when things don't go according to my plan because it's like it's never been super smooth sailing. Or maybe, you know, stuff like this happens at Career Contest all the time where on paper, let's implement this thing. I think it's going to go really well, but it, in reality, sometimes it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Right. And, and so the people who are, you know, 45 and the idea of doing something that they might fail seems a lot scarier than to the person who is 25 and maybe Uh is like, well, I don't have as much to lose. And so, you know, I'm using those as like extremes, but my point being is like, I actually think that having some failures under your belt is, is, is actually a really good thing. It really creates more coping skills that you're going to need for other things in life. Absolutely. I I agree 100%. And you mentioned, um, you know, having tools in your toolbox. So I'd say on top of all of that, you know, really to take personal growth seriously, because during those downtimes, you, you talked about, you know, things like looking for a job. I mean, some, some of those who are listening to this may be in a place where they're still looking for a job and so on. They can read, you know, read around the areas, you know, that they're interested in, which areas of work you'd like to get into. Really, you know, get educate yourself. There are podcasts, there are, you know, case studies, there are, you know, videos and you can continue to, to, to learn, to refine your craft so that when you do go somewhere, you have something to say, you have skills you can transfer. So I, I, I take this point so seriously, um, mm-hmm. you know, investing in yourself because it's not just when you're starting out at every single level, you need to continue to invest in yourself. So this really does help to grow your confidence. You're able to contribute in ways that you, you can't even imagine until you're in a particular situation and you get to use the different knowledge, the things that you've learned, you get to apply it, you get to speak it, you realize just how worthwhile in investing in, 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 your, um, in, in your knowledge, in your, in your uh, education is. And when I say education, I don't mean going to school per se. It can be through internships. That is really valuable um, for getting real life experience and seeing how different organizations do things. Um, like I said, it can be through seminars, webinars, you know, podcasts. These days, there are so many things that are yeah. free to access. There's no excuse yeah. these days. <laughs> like, you have so many ways to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to combine your next two tips because I, I, I feel like they kind of could go together, which is remember that you don't have to have all the right answers, but also find an ally. It's like, make sure you understand that you're not supposed to have all the right answers, but also that you can find people out there who can support you. And maybe maybe they have insight that helps guide you toward the answers you're looking for. So can we talk a little bit about how not remembering that you don't have to have all the right answers and finding an ally can help you dial down your self-criticism? Sure. 
Yeah, having not having all the the answers or all the right answers is just to remember that absolutely no one in the world has all the answers. I'm not even sure the encyclopedia has all the answers. That's something <laughs> that's missing, you know. No one is skilled at everything. So I think you know if you're going into a particular role, you you know you've been given that opportunity because of what you bring to the table, and someone else has a different role for what they bring. What you can do is really just make sure that you continue to refine, you know, your craft. Where you're strong, become the best. Where you, you know, you've got some gaps or some weaknesses, work at them. But they're not as important as leveraging your strengths because it's your strengths that have gotten you into a particular place, and you need those to succeed. Working on your weaknesses will help you to just, you know, become, you know, a bit stronger, more experienced. And that's where, you know, having an ally helps. The good thing about you know, and when we talk about allies, they come in different forms. You can you know get yourself a coach, a peer, co- what we like to call a peer coach. So that's somebody who potentially is um, on the same level as you within the organization. And we call I'm, I'm using the term ally because this is somebody who normally you have a mutually trusting relationship with. You give them feedback, they give you feedback. But the idea is that you you have each other's best interests at heart. It means that they will tell you when they think you're not doing as well as you can in a certain area, or give you tips for where you can improve, and that will help you in the areas of your weaknesses. Because sometimes you have to kind of step outside of yourself. You don't always see, you know, some of these gaps that somebody can point them out to you, and that's what's good about getting the feedback. But they'll also tell you where you're doing well, and you know, people who have um, you know a lot of self-doubt even where you're doing exceptionally well and everyone else is seeing it you're not necessarily seeing it so they will also tell you no in this you've done so well you're on the right track everyone else is seeing this you know and that will help you so much to improve your self-confidence because or your confidence because they're giving it to you you know their objective they tell you when things are not great, but they also tell you when they are. And so there's that trust in knowing that, yes, when they tell you that it's good, you did a good job, you can feel comfortable that you did. It's not you telling yourself you did, it's someone else. So I think it's um, you know so important to, to, to work on some of these things. You cannot give yourself feedback all the time. I think not only can you not be the person to give yourself feedback all the time, but I I really think you need to, and we just actually had an episode about this, about how to give and receive feedback. But you also have to, if if you expect people to give you feedback and when you ask for it and have them give you the honest feedback so you can grow, and then you have to also learn how to take feedback well, which is, I think, something that I've noticed. For example, um, just sometimes giving feedback to people, you can tell right away that they are defensive. And it's like, okay, well, that just teaches people to not want to give you feedback. So it's like, find the ally that you are comfortable getting and giving feedback you know, to and from with also, because maybe there's someone in your life that uh, someone you work with where it's like, okay, for whatever reason, that relationship just doesn't work. They're not going to be the right ally for you either. You know, So that's something I've been thinking a lot about. It's just that feedback loop. Something else you talked about was a, a, about focusing on strengths, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with Strengths Finder, but it's you know this idea that you focus really a, a lot more on your strengths and kind of forget your weaknesses. I, I'm I'm paraphrasing obviously, but what do you think about that for imposter syndrome too? Do you think that partly what happens is people try too hard to perfect or build up something that is one, maybe they're not that great at two, maybe they don't even like it versus spending more of their valuable time on their strengths? Yeah, I think, you know, because we know that not everyone can be good at everything, 
if you spend too much time focusing on your weaknesses and you don't refine or, or you know, your, your strengths, you're probably going to be lukewarm. You're not going to be that great at anything. So I do think it's important to, um, you know, master your game as it were. I love to say, you know, when you're so comfortable, you can almost do the thing with your eyes closed. It's, it's a good place to be in because at least one knows that when it comes to this, you're a go-to person. Then you, you, you also make sure that other areas which are necessary for you to do the job well, you keep on improving on them, but you don't necessarily need them at, you know, the highest levels. Uh, if you are a business manager, you need to have an understanding of finance, but you don't need to be a chartered accountant. You know, you're not necessarily going to be the ones doing the calculation yeah. on a daily basis, working in Excel, but you need to be able to understand how those figures came to be. You need to translate them. You need to be able to analyze them and question them. You need to recognize if they're possibly is a mistake so that you can question it and get it corrected, but you're not a chartered accountant. And it's not fair to yourself to put that pressure on yourself to try and understand finance at that level. But you need to understand it, be proficient enough at it to be able to manage that portfolio. So this is what I mean when, when I say work on the areas, you know, that you need to, to, to work on. You need to have a good enough understanding and continue to develop in that area. But if it's, you know, managing the business, if it's about, you know, understanding the consumers, knowing how to lead um, the team, making, you know, doing the, the strategic plan, the marketing plan to, you know, deliver the results whilst you've got your finance colleagues who are going to be, you know, working on the day-to-day numbers and, and keeping the books, then this is, you know, what, what you need to be ex- exceptionally strong at. So it's so important. I think, you know, I can't stress enough um, owning your strengths and, and working on that. And I'd say that, you know, again, some of the most successful leaders, that's what they do. They know their strengths and that's what they showcase and capitalize on. Yeah. They're smart enough to know they don't know everything. They bring others on board who can fill in the gaps and and they work together. Yeah, I would say it's like their strategy to dial down their self-criticism is to double down on their strengths. And I find it interesting because a lot of themes on this podcast for related to success come down to self-awareness and managing expectations, which you've you've basically have, you know, said is is part of how to overcome imposter syndrome. So Tucci, these are fantastic tips. I think this is incredibly important, especially as a lot of people are maybe going into new ventures, you know, the fall slash this season and the new year is coming up. So this is really, really helpful. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, Tucci, where can they find you? I, I have a website. It's www. I don't think we need to say that anymore, do we? www. But it's tuchiivoi. dot com. It's t u w c i i v o w i tuchiivoi. dot com. Or I can be found on LinkedIn, Instagram, tuchiivoi. So um, yeah, and and my emails, are, you know, addresses are on the different um, locations. So I'm quite easy to to to, to contact. Great. Well, we are going to put all of that in the show notes so you guys can reach out to Tushi um, if you've got more questions or just want to connect with her um, about anything career-wise. And Tushi, thank you again for these amazing tips. Thank you so much once again for the invitation. It was great speaking with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. You guys already know this, but we love your feedback and we would be so grateful if you would rate our show and leave us a review, include um, even the topics you would love us to cover in the future. 
If you want to learn more about Tucci, you can find her at Tucci Evoe on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, and on her website, TuchiEvoe.com. All links are in the show notes. Lastly, if you're looking for additional tools to help you strengthen your confidence muscles, I'd recommend our new online course, The Confidence Crunch, as well as my book. Yes, I did indeed finally finish that book. It's called Power Moves. Both of those are linked in the show notes as well. 